It's Angela Yee, and I'm telling you right now that the Alive Podcast Network app is the best directory of podcasts created for us by us. From relationships to making money moves, there's a show that'll captivate every listener. And for my fellow Black creatives, this is a call to action to take your brand and monetization to the next level. It's for the culture. Join the movement and sign up today. You can thank me later. Download the Alive Podcast app from your app store today. Raising Joyful and Resilient Black Children podcast, where we bridge conversations from parenting to child well-being and social justice, and we provide resources and tools for parents connected to research that matters to us and to our community. I'm Dr. Valerie Adams-Bass. And I'm Dr. Sharita Butler-Barnes. Let's get started. So today we are speaking with Jordan Carter, president of the SYP Foundation Incorporated, a nonprofit organization dedicated to financial empowerment for all. Welcome, Jordan. How are you? Yes, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Yeah, yeah. And so we are just going to go ahead and get started. We want you to tell us a little bit about yourself. But to get started, tell us a little bit about SYP Foundation, but also What inspired you to create the SYP Foundation Incorporated? And what is the organization's mission when it comes to financial empowerment for all? So like a two question I have for you. Yeah, so the SYP Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization founded right here in Baltimore, Maryland by 10 friends who just wanted to give back to our community. Our mission is encouraging financial empowerment through financial literacy, scholarship, and public service. We were just inspired to start the organization. It really started with a text message. We wanted to start a scholarship, put all our money and resources together to give back to our alma mater, our high school. Hmm. And then it turned into something bigger when we decided to just build it as its own entity and start consistently providing community service and just putting all our energy into giving back and reaching back you know, while we can now and being the answer to the problems that we see in our community. And so when it comes to financial empowerment for all, what do you mean by that? Can you elaborate more to give the audience, like what does financial empowerment for all mean and why does that matter? Yes, it's very important to us. It's one of our key values and pillars that everybody has access to the education and can be literate to the financial services and being empowered by managing their finances so that they can make wise decisions and, you know, live a life that's well to them in their own way. Mm. Okay. Thank you for that. Jordan, can you just give us a broader definition of financial services, right? Because someone might say financial services is me just going to the bank, me using Venmo, going to the check cashing station. So give us a, mm. a definition from your perspective and the work that this foundation does of what financial services is or what they are. Right. We keep it as simple as using money as a tool. Right. You know, money isn't good. Money isn't bad. It's simply a tool that can be used, you know, in your favor. So when you use it as a tool, you know, it can be, you know, just saving, giving, investing and just being a good steward of it. So whether services encompass just using money as a whole. Okay. Okay. And so what's your target like audience in terms of when you say financial empowerment for all? Who are you targeting in terms of making sure that folks know that they're empowered? Yes, our target audience is college students, college graduates, 
and then also high school students that are pursuing higher education and also trade school. So why is that important, particularly when I think about financial literacy and I think about empowerment? Sometimes I think like, you know, folks might think it's like older adults or those persons that are established. But what's the benefits of like educating our teenagers, our young children? And also, why is that important for college graduates? Right. So all 10 of our founders, we were college graduates. Most of us go into HBCUs. Mm. And then when we graduated, right, most of us accumulated that college debt. And a lot of us, we didn't really realize what we signed up for. <laughs> we were just excited to go to, you know, four-year university, staying on campus. Sure. But then once you graduate, it's important for college graduates to know, you know, you have this debt that you have to pay off. You have to start making monthly payments and you don't want to default mm. or just how to manage, you know, a credit card, things of that nature. So teaching people young, you know, early as possible, really middle school through high school. So they know, you know, how much college really costs and what mm. student loans are how to pay them back, how to manage their debt is really important for us because we were recent college graduates when we started the SYP Foundation. Okay, good. Thank you for that. And so let's move into our next part. So your organization's motto and foundation name is Stack Your Paper. Can you share the meaning behind Stack Your Paper? Yes. So Stack Your Paper is just a fun way of saying save that money, invest that money, right? Give that money to help others so that the money can circulate in our community. It was actually coined, you know, by one of our board members, Chris Johnson. He used to say it all the time in high school. And we just took that phrase and really made it, you know, our organic slogan and really transferred it into a way to, you know, make it a fun way to teach financial literacy. Okay. Very good. Very good. And so can you speak to the impact that your organization has had on the communities you serve and how you have been able to help people in need? Yes. So one of our main focuses is the SYP scholarship. We started our scholarship okay. in 2021. And since we have been able to impact after this year, 18 you know, students, high school and college students, and have been able to give them over $12,000 for financial assistance, whether that's housing, whether that's tuition mm. or whether that's books. So that is one of our main pillars and point of emphasis to help empower people, right? By actually putting money into their hands, not just talking about it. That sounds really good. I have a couple of follow-up questions to what yeah. Dr. Sharita has been asking you. So I'm thinking about Stack Your Paper, the idea that, as you said, we were pretty much college graduates, the founders. We came out of college, accumulated debt, and weren't really aware of what we were getting into. So I have a couple of questions about Personally, how did you all start to manage your own debt? Like what process did you go through to manage your own debt, to alleviate debt? And or how do those lessons translate into what the, you know, Stack Your Paper Foundation does, right? So as you said, we all came out of college. We went to HBCUs, which shout out mm-hmm. to the HBCU crew. Um, <laughs> and we're really excited to be there. Now you're going, you're alumni, you're alumnus of the university, and you're like, uh-oh, what's next? And I've got this new bill. So what strategies did your group use? Was that strategy that you used? What was the foundation for your organization? Tell us a little bit about how you moved from surprise, I've got this new bill to we've got to do something about these bills. And now we've got to help other young people do something. Yeah. 
No, for sure. So me personally, I came back home after going to school at North Carolina A&T. Shout out to all the Aggies. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, if you're going to stay in my house, you're going to start paying bills. And also you're going to take this financial class. It was a Dave Ramsey financial peace class. And at first I didn't want to take it, but the class was so helpful for me on my journey. And now I'm like a personal finance junkie because of it. But it just teaches you, you know, the right ways and strategies to pay off the debt, whether it's that snowfall or that avalanche. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at least making that minimum payment you definitely want to pay that and then also you know paying more so you could tackle the interest straight on and go straight to the principal and not the interest so those are the strategies that we're also teaching the college students and also telling the students that you can use your refund check to pay off the student loan while you're in school and not just waiting so the interest keeps accumulating Okay. Good information. Good stuff. So for those of us who are not familiar with those terms or may not live in cold weather climate, what is a snowfall strategy versus an avalanche? Avalanche. Avalanche. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, just, you know, some of us don't even know what that is. And I had a friend who was from Miami and she was visiting Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She was so excited. She had never seen snow in her entire life. So help us to know what the avalanche strategy is versus the snowfall strategy. Mm-hmm. in the financial world. Right. So different strategies work for different people. Some people, you know, they might have large amounts of debt and they could be really intimidated. So they say, okay, first, just tackle that small principle, right? So you want to tackle, if you have a credit card, that's 2000 and you had my student loan debt for 20000 you want to tackle that 2000 just get it out the way, right? So that way you don't really mm-hmm. feel intimidated. And then once you tackle your 2000 debt and get that out the way, then you can attack the larger debt of the 20000 balance. Or though on the other side, you would attack the one that has, you know, a higher interest. That way, that higher interest is not compounding and accumulating. So those are just a different strategies, depending on a different type of person. That's one thing that we want to teach people is that everything isn't specific to one thing. Depending on a person, you might have a different spending style. You might have a different budgeting style. So there's just different strategies that you can use to tackle the debt. So tell us which one of those is the avalanche strategy. So if you're attacking the credit card bill, is that the snowball or the avalanche strategy? Which strategy is that? If you go with attacking the $2,000 debt first, which strategy is that? So the avalanche is when you want to build momentum and you tackle the smallest balance first. And then the other one would be the snowfall. Okay. The snowfall. Okay. Okay. And so what I'm hearing... I've never heard that terminology before. Right. And I'm thinking Maybe. that depending on people's lived experiences and where they're at financially, they might have to pick a best strategy, the better strategy that works for them. And it's no right or wrong. It's just depending on if you want to do the avalanche. What did you say? Avalanche versus what? I'm messing it up. Oh, avalanche right? versus snowfall. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Can you talk a little bit about how S? YP teaches about financial literacy. In addition to what the example you just gave, what are some other ways that you do this, particularly with the kiddos? Right. Do you have a curriculum? That's what I'm curious. Is it a curriculum that you use? What's your approach to helping them understand it? And as you said, Mm -hmm. even when you took your first classes, you got hooked. So what's the strategy that you use when you're working with young people, particularly the younger of the crew, before they even get to graduation and say, I've got this debt? What's that approach like? Yeah. So right now, one of our focuses is expanding our reach inside the schools. We were a pandemic baby. 
Mississippi. That's why P Foundation. So we weren't really able to get inside Baltimore County or Baltimore City Schools. So now that we have the opportunity to, like two weeks ago, we went to Pine Grove Middle School and we collaborated with an organization that's helping young Black boys just with mentorships. So in that school, we just kept it simple. You know, we broke it down and said, you know, how they could use money as a tool. And right now we're working on a curriculum, collaborating with different organizations that have already previously been in the school systems to really figure out, you know, how to change the language and simplify it so it can make sense for middle school can understand. But really just using real life examples and then also like showing them money and charts so that they can see a visual of it, giving them like a petitious examples where they have to be able to steward the money and say, what would you do in this situation? We've realized that students are really keen to actually not just listening or looking at a PowerPoint, but giving them real life scenarios where they actually have a job and they have to pay the taxes and they really understand, well, I'm losing money in this aspect. Let me put money aside if I really want to save up for this Xbox Mm. or this item. So making it relative so they can like it and enjoy it, but also get the principles of stewardship. I really do like that approach. And I applaud you also for having the vision to create this during the pandemic when we were just recognizing so many needs that were unmet or undersupported within the Black community. So thank you and your crew for stepping up to do this work, particularly in Baltimore County. And so for me, when I think about working with adolescents and middle schoolers and the peer pressure, right? I even think about my own child who wants to spend money and doesn't have to. So when you're giving these practical examples and saying, how are you going to steward this money? Do you ever have conversations with those young people about choosing not to buy or ask for the latest iPhone or choosing not to buy or ask for the latest kicks or sneakers that are coming out? How do you help them to think about it in the very real here and now financial decision making that they are making based on where they are in life. No, for sure. We do speak on the principles of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. You know, a lot of people, especially in an American lifestyle, we buy because we want to keep up with the Joneses. We don't want to miss out and not get the new iPhone just because everybody else has, like you're saying, that peer pressure. So we speak on those principles so that they're aware of it, like the psychology of money you know, is really important. And then also like what I was told in college, right? I had a guy that was speaking to us and he said, every time he bought Nike shoes, he bought Nike stock. So just providing that balance, you know, if you want something and you want to spend on yourself, that is fine, but also matching it with the same energy you have with investing in yourself. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. I know we have a couple more questions, but I do want to follow up on this because I think it's important for our parents and teachers to kind of hear this. Like, how do you connect with a young person? And I think it's particularly important for Black youth and Black families where for many of us, we don't have wealth or our wealth is relatively small. And so what we wear, the size of our TV, the car we drive is a representation of our value and wealth. So even more in a particular way than just the American lifestyle, right? Having many of us coming out of slavery, coming out of inequality where we're not making the same, sure. those who are homeowners, houses are not valued, they're undervalued, and it's not mm-hmm. because they aren't worth. It's just all of these systems, systemic structures that can also impact the financial well-being of the Black community. And that's pretty much proven, right? And we also know that for many Black families and Black communities, a way to represent your value is to say that I have these really nice things, right? So they may not, you know, appreciate and value, Mm -hmm. but those are the things that we can grasp, right? Because, or some of us can grasp because we're not able to purchase our home or our home is undervalued or our community is undervalued or I can't afford the kind of car that I want. 
So we get these things that demonstrate that we are worthy and we are valuable. So juxtaposition to some of these racial hierarchies and equities that we experience. And I think that's really particular for Black youth. And sometimes when we I know when I've worked with teachers as an educator and a researcher, sometimes they'll say, you know, he doesn't even do his homework. That young man doesn't even do his homework, but he has the latest Jordans, you know, mm. or the latest iPhone. You know, how can a parent not come to parent teacher, but they send their kids to school and they have one, you know, the most expensive this and that. How come they don't have a car? That is why I ask and I bring up ones to elevate. Like, how do you help the young people who may be having that generational experience passed down? to really begin to think beyond the, as you said, FOMO, right? So they may not even be very much aware of so these historical inequities, but they know, you know, the process of getting the latest and the greatest. So how do you help them see beyond this moment of peer pressure and this moment of the latest and greatest demonstrates my worth to, you know, I'm going to stack my paper. <laughs> I'm going to go with last year's version and I'm going to get them from TJ Maxx maybe, and I'm going to stack my paper. So I'm still worth something. Is there a space for the young people getting the aha moment of, I may not have the latest or greatest, but I'm still worthy. And so I'm just going to go ahead and stack my paper. That's a good question. I think also a piece is the abundance piece of, you know, you can have what you want, not really putting a limitation on it if it's within your means, but also creating just opportunities and dialogue of, how to create opportunities within that desire, right? So you talk about Jordans or nice things. What if you sell the Jordans? Jordans are also an asset. They're not mm -hmm. just a liability. So reframing, you know, that dialogue and saying, okay, what if you get them now and then you don't wear them and keep them in that condition and then you sell them. Now you have a profit. So now this kid, his desire for clothes is now a business opportunity. Love it. Love so it. a lot of the conversations we have are reframing it. So like you want to be a basketball player. That's great. But besides just being good with a basketball, you know, now they have NIL and college and now they have sponsorships. Really trying to get them to understand the leverage of that talent. It's just not the surface level of it, but how they can scale something that they enjoy. I like, I like that. that. <laughs> I really do. I, I mean, do. I have a younger brother and like, he is a sneaker head, y'all. And I did not know the value of some of these shoes that he has and why he does the same thing you said. If I keep these this long, this is going to be the high. Like, it's a thing. It's a real thing. And it's an investment. So I'm glad that you said that because I was thinking, what are the ways and how can we engage youth that maybe you can have this, but also to think about still saving or what an investment looks like or doing things that they want as well, too. But just, you know, being able to balance that, I think that's important. Definitely. And I like the idea of helping them to, as you mentioned, use money as a tool, right? That's so right. For some young people, they're going to get it. They're going to, you know, be a sneaker aficionado. Others are just going to wear their sneakers and say, I wish I had known. So this idea of expanding their thought process and what you said, Jordan, of using money as a tool, I think is really important, particularly for that peer pressure age, because mm -hmm. if they're starting to think about their future, as well as where they stand with their peers. And I think that would help them when they get to your point and say, well, my student loan debt is relatively low because I invested at this point or because I made these decisions versus others. So the idea of changing the mindset, I think is really important in this idea that some things that we may see, as you said, as you know, non-appreciation or not value, that there are ways to value them if you they get to know the market, right? right. Because there's some who may not know the market. So 
I like how you're talking about expanding the horizons, really helping young people to understand how they might see something as an investment versus just a pair of sneakers or the latest phone and the thought process. Like, so money as a tool versus money that you just spend, especially for young people who have discretionary income, right? Regardless of their parents, you know, income, many young people have discretionary income. They don't, you know, necessarily realize that their parents are sacrificing or whatever. So this idea is great. And also I think helpful for our listeners who may be trying to figure out how you have that conversation with young people around what they Mm -hmm. desire to purchase, how they can broker that, how they can use money as a tool. And as you say, trying to get, to young people, you know, middle school, high school. So by the time they are in college, they're making decisions. By the time they finish college, they have already started making those decisions and putting themselves in the place to either reduce the debt or accumulate wealth, if not both. So I like that idea. Thank you. So how can people learn more about the SYP Foundation and get involved in supporting your work towards financial empowerment? Like how can people get more information, learn more, help you assist? What are the ways they can engage? Yes. So everybody, they can check us out on SYPfoundation.org and also on Instagram at SYP.foundation. Okay. And then you can see all our information. We post weekly, just giving like financial tips and also keeping people updated on our community service events. So if they see an event that they want to be a part of, we do collaborations with volunteering and also just sharing what our events are doing or if somebody can be of service of it. You know, we have Turkey Drive, annual Turkey Drive. In two weeks, we'll be doing our free haircuts for the fathers at a men's shelter in Catonsville. So if anybody, you know, can use these resources, just sharing it and being part of our community online. Good. good. Yeah. 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 Good. I mean, this is good. This is good. And so based on your work with the organization, you just mentioned like tips for parents. So how can parents promote financial literacy tips and support raising joyful and resilient black children in today's society? What are some tips and tools for parents? Yeah. So my number one recommendation is scholarship Sundays. Mm -hmm. When your kid is a junior, when they're a senior saying, hey, every Sunday we're going to be looking at scholarship opportunities, grant opportunities and applying to at least one every Sunday. Scholarships can be very intimidating. Shameless plug, SYP, we don't have any GPA or no essay requirements for our scholarships. Mm -hmm. So we make it equitable and accessible for all students. Mm -hmm to take away that intimidation factor and to get students, more students, you know, that deserve scholarships that maybe previously wouldn't, you know, be opposed to applying. So just finding scholarships and sitting down with their kids and saying, hey, you know, school is expensive. You're going to be in debt if you don't have scholarships or grants to assist in that area. And then also finding podcasts and organizations like ourselves that they can connect with. Having that face-to-face mentorship is crucial. And finding somebody that can talk the language and break it down and meet where that student is is very important. So there's plenty of, you know, people that, you know, are doing the work. So just, you know, being able to connect them with organizations like ourselves. I love that, Jordan. Yeah, that's great. And I love Scholarship Sundays. I used to call it something similar, fishing for financial aid. And so in part of that, just to reinforce what Jordan says, we want to make sure that we have a clean, neat email address, right? For those scholarship right. applications, <laughs> not I'm the dopest MC at my school at gmail.com, right? right and I say right, that right. facetiously, but I remember a young person who's 
email was tbooty at high. So you're not going to get the kind of scholarship you want if you're inquiring at about all. a scholarship with tbooty and whatever the address is. So the idea of starting early, starting in that junior year, which is really not early, that's on time and dedicating the time. So this idea is yes. you set up money as well and scholarships are money, right? That's a form of money and grants is a form of money that can help you come out with low debt or no debt. So I love that idea of going through that process. And I do think for our parents and our caregivers, sometimes when we have teenagers, we feel like we want them to be independent. We want them to do this on their own. I want to encourage you to sit down with them. As Mm -hmm. Jordan was mentioning, you sit down with them and you go through the scholarship process. And even if it means that you're sitting in the same room and peeking over at the laptop or the tablet to see what they're doing, or you're sitting right next to them, because Unless you have the kind of child who's just very independent and forward thinking, and even then they need the support of their parents, you need to be stepping them through this process because this may be a new skill, right? So as Jordan was Mm -hmm. saying earlier, coming out of school and saying, oh, I have a bill. Now what do I do? So even applying for scholarships, and as he mentioned, many of them have an essay or GPA or some other thing. And so as a parent or guardian, we want to be able to talk them through and walk them through what's that's like, because even if we have not applied for scholarships or you have not applied for scholarships, you likely have applied for a job or medical insurance or something where you know that that process is tedious as an adult. Imagine how a young person feels. So thank you, Jordan. I love that number one recommendation. Thanks so much. And so, yeah, I just think it's lovely. So thinking about that with that in mind, you know, you said you're moving to curriculum and trying to get into the schools now, looking towards the future, what are some of the goals and plans? I know you touched on this a little bit earlier, but are there any goals and plans that the SYP Foundation has that you're really excited about? What are some goals for the future that you are excited about? Yeah, so just expanding our programming that we've already initiated, you know, the annual SYP scholarship is very huge. So we want to expand the pool. We want, you know, right now, annually six students are awarded scholarships. So doubling that and, you know, allowing 12 students to get Mm -hmm. the opportunity to get financial assistance with larger sums of money, that would be a huge impact. You know, saying that SYP Foundation was able to give somebody a full scholarship. You know, those are our goals in the future. And then also, you know, just expanding the financial services, bringing those into you know, the vulnerable communities in an accessible way. So just working on that programming and collaboration, collaborating with other nonprofits, with entities and government bases. We just want to continue the momentum that we have. So just really making these resources equitable and accessible and actually asking the community, you know, what do you want? Mm Because it can be hard to know, you know, from afar. And we don't want to just think that we know what they need. Some people might need food, some people need transportation, some people need career services. So really just getting, you know, boots on the ground and then just connecting with our community. Sure. Thank you. And so one more time, can you tell us the website and your Instagram handle? Because I want to make sure folks know about the work you're doing. Website and Instagram again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So check us out. SYP stackyourpaperfoundation.org. SYPfoundation.org. And then Instagram, SYP.foundation. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Jordan. So you can contact the foundation to learn about what they're doing in the community, but also to support them. It is a 501c3. So if it's something you're excited about and passionate about, think about how you can collaborate because that, as Jordan just mentioned, is one of the things that he's excited about for the future of SYP. And we thank you and your friends who are now your colleagues for the vision to put this together and to continue to serve the community. Thanks so much, Jordan. 
So thank you so much for joining us today, Jordan. It's been a pleasure having you on the show and learning more about SYP Foundation's work. To our listeners, be sure to check out SYP Foundation's work to learn more about their programs and how to get involved. Jordan provided the Instagram handle and the website, so please make sure that you contribute and be a part of this great foundation that he is setting. Mm -hmm. Raising Joyful and Resilient Black Children is part of the Alive Podcast Network. The podcast was created and produced by Jacqueline Duget, edited by Manny Simon of Vita Productions. Follow, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to whatisblack.co. Again, that is whatisblack.co for parenting resources and tools. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at whatisblack. That is at W-H-A-T-I-S-B-L-K. We're Dr. Sharita Butler-Barnes and Dr. Valerie Edels-Fast. Thanks for listening. Thank you all.